What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the PickSwap Media YouTube channel. My name is Sean Bernard, as usual, and today I'm here to break down some NBA All-Star Awards, the midseason awards for the NBA thus far, as well as talk about the top five teams with the most pressure of them going into the second half of the season. Let's get it. So let's kick things off at the top with MVP of the first half of the season. A lot of solid options here. Nikola Jokic is kind of running away with the odds. But my pick for MVP thus far is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Looking at his stats through 47 games that he has played in, averaging 31.8 points, which is career high, more than he averaged in either of his seasons as the MVP, along with 12.2 rebounds, 5.4 assists. Uh, led the Bucks to a 41 and 17 record, which is good for second in the East, uh, just a half game back out of first place. In the last 10 games alone, averaging 34.9 points, 12.8 rebounds, 5.9 assists on 38.1 percent. Uh, I'm sorry, 58.1 percent from the field. He's crucial on both ends, gets it uh, done defensively as well, which is a, a big deal to me. Chris Middleton has has not been able to get healthy pretty much throughout the bulk of the first half of the season. So to me, he's kind of doing what Nikola Jokic did last year in carrying a team that is battling injuries to success. Uh, he's elevating them with his play. He's scoring more points than he did as an MVP, still as impactful on the defensive end. That Bucks team is nobody to be played with, and Giannis is at the heart of everything. So I'm surprised by the lack of kind of national MVP buzz for Giannis. I personally think he deserves it, and he's number one on my list for now, but we will see what happens in the second half of the year. Moving on to Rookie of the Year, Paolo Bancaro is running away with this award, and I tend to agree with it. Averaging 19.9 points, 6.6 rebounds, 3.6 assists, only shooting 28.1% from three and 41.9% from the field. So the efficiency is something to keep an eye on, something that he's going to have to work on moving forward in his career, but still very young and still being very productive so far. This is especially uh, impressive considering looking at that Magic team. While, yes, they are still in the rebuilding process and, and very youthful, there's a ton of guys on that roster who pretty much are built and look like Paolo. So to find a way to differentiate, differentiate himself and distinguish himself and establish himself as the guy is not easy as a rookie, and we're seeing that. So uh, I give Paolo a ton of credit. I also want to shout out Benedict Matherin. To me, he's pretty close in the running, and I think it's a, a two-man race between those two. I'm surprised the lack of buzz. It seems like it's pretty dead set that Paolo has the red carpet laid to uh, collect the Rookie of the Year trophy, but I think Ben Matherin is right in there, and, and I am a Ben Matherin guy. I have loved him since his time at Arizona, but just looking at his stats this year, he's played in 60 games, uh, averaging 17.2 points, 4.1 rebounds, 1.4 assists, shooting 31.9% from three on 4.3 attempts, 42.9% from the field. Another guy that needs to work on his efficiency, but better than Paolo in both categories there. And that's one of those things that happens when you kind of make that college to NBA leap. Efficiency is something that tends to catch up, and I have faith in the long term. Also, Matherin leads the NBA in individual bench points as things currently stand. So really jumping into that kind of six-man role, uh, for the Pacers, uh, I love Ben Rathman. I think he's got a phenomenal career. I think both these guys have a phenomenal career ahead of them. So I do think it's a two-man race between them the rest of the way. Paolo definitely has the edge right there. Moving on to most improved player. To me, this is far and away Laurie Markkinen. Uh, looking at his stats this year, averaging 24.9 points, 8.6 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 
a career high 41.2% from three and 51.2% from the field. That 24.9 points per game is also a career high for him. Uh, the Jabs have cooled off from their kind of hot start to the season. Uh, they were v- widely expected to be entering that Victor Wimbanyama sweepstakes when the season kicked off, and they just were too good to be involved in that when things uh, kicked off. But they've slipped to now 29-31, and 31, which is good for 11th in the West. Still probably a notch too good to be in that true uh, top of the contention category for the top pick. Uh, but Laurie has established himself as a key building block moving forward. Earned an all-star appearance this year, well-deserved in front of the home crowd. Uh, to me, he's far and away elevated his game more than anyone else, and uh, uh, I believe he should be rightfully the most improved. I will shout out Cam Thomas as an honorable mention. He's a guy uh, very much impressive, especially in the absence of uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie. I think he's going to have a pretty special second half of the season without them there. Uh, I am against uh, Shea Gilgers, Alexander, and Jalen Brunson getting this award, who are uh, also up there in kind of the, the top rankings and odds for. And that's simply from the the fact of we know who those guys are. These guys are both already excellent players. Shea specifically we knew was the franchise centerpiece for the Thunder and the guy that they were building around has been the case for several years now. It shouldn't be a surprise that he's good this good because he's kind of always been that guy and he's definitely taken steps forward, deserves credit for him. But to me, the most improved is a guy who takes that significant leap to kind of separate himself and, and take a take his career path in a direction that maybe it wasn't expected would be the case, which I think is what Laurie Markin has done. Jalen Brunson having a great year and definitely has taken some strides forward as well. But I feel similarly that he already was kind of this guy uh, in Dallas with, uh, with the Mavericks. He's had a better chance in New York to take further step forwards, but he was already on the map. Moving on to coach of the year. To me, I'm going with Jacques Vaughn here. And uh, this is a bit of a surprise. He's sixth in odds at plus 1,000. Uh, there's a lot of good options for coach of the year this year. I think Joe Mazzulla is very deserving. Mike Brown with the Kings, extremely deserving as well. But to me, Jacques Vaughn has just dealt with so much, been such a hectic year, a situation that no head coach can is ever really equipped to deal with when we're talking about the, the Kevin Durant, the Kyrie Irving drama, the injuries, the dealing with Ben Simmons and everything that comes with it. The Nets are sitting at 34 and 24 in fifth place in the East and not out of things. Uh, Vaughn did a, a specifically great job stepping in after the Steve Nash hiring, took in, took over just a few games into this year and really changed the identity of this team. He got them to buy on the, buy in on the defensive side of the floor. They were posting some elite defensive metrics uh, during a stretch, and they had flipped the switch into true contenders as constructed, even with all the off-court issues and egos and mindsets and everything else that was going on in that locker room. The Nets were competing on an every-game basis. And even now that things are blown up, I still expect this Nets team to be fairly competent and competing. I mean, we saw Mikael Bridges drop 45 just a few games before the break. They have some tools there. They're not contenders anymore by any means, but I do believe in Jacques Vaughn to keep this team moving in the right direction. Uh, I'm so happy for him that he got this extension, got the full-time job. He's very deserving, has been for several years now. Just an awesome guy, awesome coach, and for me, he's my coach of the year. Next up, sixth man of the year. This is a fairly obvious pick, but I'm going with Malcolm Brogdon here. Uh, f- through 50 games, zero starts. He's averaging 14.7 points, 4.2 rebounds, 3.7 assists, shooting 45.5% on three-point attempts, uh, which actually leads the NBA. Took over Isaiah Joe, who is right behind him at 45.2%. Both guys shooting at a ridiculous rate, so impressive there. Uh, he's been the the kind of fixing piece to the Celtics team provides them with a flexibility where they can have that true point guard. Uh, Brogdon deserves some credit for swallowing his pride a little bit and uh, taking that kind of off the bench role, which has been him. He's been a starter through his whole career pretty much and and been a real key piece. And the questions surrounding him have always been health. It has never been about talent. And uh, 
he's proving to be that guy this year. He looks terrific in the role. He's handling whatever is thrown at him. And now the Celtics have a different dimension with him and that they can roll with the true point guard. They can still go big and have Marcus Smart carrying the one for stretches. But they were hurt a little down the down the stretch in the playoffs last year by not having a guy that is just able to run sets in the offense outside of Marcus Smart. So Brogdon gives him that capability. And I think he's going to be a real difference maker come postseason time. Tyrese Maxey, I'll throw an honorable mention to at plus 400 sitting behind him. I think Maxey has a chance to climb in this, but honestly, I just don't think there's enough uh, shots to go around for him to earn his keep in this running and uh, and overtake Brogdon uh, with Joel Embiid and and James Harden stealing the the bulk of the touches. Maxey becomes too much of an afterthought in this offense, more so than should be the case, but that's what I expect to happen. So I do think the path is clear for Brogdon to win this award. I also think Russell Westbrook, would be right in the the running as he kind of adjusted to that in Laker with the Lakers. It will be interesting to see what his role looks like in Los Angeles on the other side of things with the Clippers. But either way, I think Malcolm Brogdon comes home with this. And lastly, Defensive Player of the Year, another guy I think is kind of running away with it, and that's Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, the biggest knock on him is just games played. He's battling some injuries to start the year, but through 40 games that he has played in, averaging 16.9 points, 6.7 rebounds, 3.3 blocks, and 1.1 steal. I mean, he led the NBA in blocks last year with 2.3 per game and took it up a whole block extra, averaging 3.3 blocks this year, just putting up some ridiculous defensive metrics. I mean, he's leading the NBA in individual defensive rating at 103.1. Steven Adams is next in that category at 106.9, so over a three-point differential there. He also is leading the NBA with a 10.8% block percentage. Uh, right, The next up behind him is Walker Kessler at 8.0, so a pretty big gap there. He is a uh, such a threat at the rim. Once he gets the fouls under control, if that ever is the case, I think he truly has like star potential and, and p- the potential to be the real deal second piece toward Ja there. Memphis has taken a little bit of a, a step back of late in recent games, uh, but there's still a team to be frightful of in the postseason, and Jaron Jackson is going to be at the heart of it. So they, they kind of squashed the narrative of the, the fake and stat-friendly clips that were floating around the internet. It was not as big of a deal as it was initially made out to be. So many of his blocks are completely legitimate, and uh, he is up there with the most elite rim protectors in the NBA. So Jaron Jackson for Defensive Player of the Year for me. And now we will switch gears to the top five teams with the most approved come second half of the season. And we're going to start off with a a quick honorable mention. I couldn't decide between five or six. I decided these guys were sixth, so I threw them at an honorable mention. Just want to bring them up, and that's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Sitting at 31 and 30 and eighth in the West. This comes after making a huge offseason splash that really changed the outlook and the market of the NBA by trading Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leonardo Bomero, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, four first-round picks, and a pick swap in exchange for Rudy Gobert. When you make that big of a splash, you want a little better return than be sitting in eighth place in the Western Conference and not a great outlook for your team or the player that you got. I mean, we see the metrics of them being better without Rudy Gobert on the court. The the Carl Anthony Towns and Gobert pairing hasn't really worked. Uh, Anthony Edwards is by far the alpha dog of that team and kind of the deciding factor. But uh, they're kind of stuck with Rudy for a couple more years, and they're going to have to find a way to figure it out. So more from an expectation standpoint, uh, I don't think the the pressure is ridiculous. It's kind of I don't think anybody looks at them as contenders or or even really fringe contenders. But I do think there's a ton of pressure to just figure out how to make that relationship work. Uh, you're stuck with them, got a massive contract, and and got to figure out a way to make it work. So that's what I'm looking for and where I think the pressure is on for them. That's in the second half of the season. Number five, I'm going with the Dallas Mavericks, uh, sitting at 31 and 29, sixth place in the West making another big splash and a guy, a team that goes all into the deadline by trading for Kyrie Irving. 
Kyrie is obviously a free agent at the end of the year. So a bit of a rental, maybe it turns into a long term. Uh, so I think that's kind of where the pressure comes in is they need to figure out how to compete this year. And I also think there's something to people looking at the Mavericks as a little bit of a fraud. This is a, a team that lost to the Warriors in the conference finals last year. They absolutely destroyed the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs to get there. And uh, the Warriors obviously went on to win the title. So a respectable loss for sure there. They need to prove it to the NBA that they're legitimate. Uh, Luka Doncic, that's why the I have a full video you can check out on my thoughts on the Kyrie trade and why it was such a win for the Mavericks. But the biggest root of that is I think they're proving to Luka Doncic that they are committed to winning, that they are committed to building around him because he needs the help. I mean, he was putting up some historic usage numbers, uh, ball dominant numbers, just dribbles, time of possession, all just out, off the charts. And they need another guy. So Kyrie Irving is that guy. He is better than Jalen Brunson by a pretty wide margin. And if you can get a best behavior Kyrie Irving for just the second half of the season, you can't count this team out. So I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. I think they're more legitimate contenders and they're being given credit and they're going to prove it in the second half. Number four, I'm going with the Los Angeles Clippers. Sitting at 33 and 28, fourth in the Western Conference, they have been a strange team to watch this year. And the biggest reason for that is we just haven't seen enough of what they look like as fully constructed. Uh, Kawhi Leonard has played just 34 of their 61 games. Paul George has played just 44 of their 61 games. This is a team that has embraced just the load management and, and injury prevention more than anyone else in the NBA. But the bottom line is they've now got to back it up and prove that that's worthwhile. We haven't really seen it yet. I mean, last year, they didn't even make the true playoffs. They were bounced in the play-in series by the New Orleans Pelicans. And this comes just a year after they made the conference finals in 2020-21, uh, where they lost to the Suns. And their numbers on the season it just have not been great. I mean, 27th in the NBA in points per game, uh, 21st in offensive rating. They brought in Russell Westbrook as their kind of I guess, I guess big splash. They made a couple other changes as well, but Russ, according to Vegas, actually decreased their chances of, of winning a championship or anything else. It's going to be an odd fix. There's a whole lot of just bizarre roster kind of building decisions on this team. So uh, as much as like they've gone all in and it felt like they had their, a path paved for them for long-term success, I think they need to prove it this year. And there needs to at least be some sort of just cohesive basketball unit on the floor in a way that there really hasn't been throughout the whole season. So I do think there's a lot of pressure on the Clippers to figure it out and put some sort of relatively good product on the floor. Number three, I'm going with the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets having a terrific year, sitting at 41 and 18, first in the Western Conference, yet it feels like no one takes them serious as a championship contender. I mean, they went to the, the conference final in 2019-2020 uh, where they lost to the Lakers who went on to win the championship that year. That was, of course, in the bubble. There was some uh, wild stuff done by Jamal Murray in that bubble. Some of the best basketball that he's played for his career, probably the best basketball that he's played in his career. Nikola Jokic this season continuing to take things to another level, averaging 24.7 points, 11.5 rebounds, 10.1 assists. But unfortunately, he's kind of one of the reasons that I believe that they're not taken seriously. And I personally sit in this camp of I've seen this guy be taken off the floor in the playoffs on must stop situations. And that is the concern. If this offensive efficiency, free flowing offense and just style of play can translate to the postseason. They're big. They got a ton of athletes. Jamal Murray is back. Michael Porter Jr. is healthy again. Aaron Gordon having a great season. Uh, they got a lot of nice pieces to surround Jokic with and that make up for a lot of the defensive liabilities in this area. But the bottom line is that your center's got to step up on the defensive end. I mean, the, when they were bounced by the Warriors last year, that there was clearly a target on Jokic where they were just setting a pick and roll, getting him, getting Steph Curry uh, on Jokic as the matchup, and they absolutely capitalized. So the Nuggets have to find a way to combat that. 
uh, figure out a way to overcome it. And that will kind of be the make or break for how legitimate they can be in the postseason now and moving forward. And that is the question. They're still a scary team. They're very good. I think they're better than they've gotten credit, being given credit as a contender, but they have a ton to prove. And I I don't think anyone's going to take them serious until they see that. Number two, I have the Philadelphia 76ers with the most to prove. They have uh, sitting with a record of 38, 19 third place in the Eastern conference. Joel Embiid, James Harden, and Doc Rivers each have their own postseason demons that it is time to fight. The Sixers have not been past the second round since 2001. They have not eclipsed this in the entire process era and the entire Joel Embiid era, and time is frankly running out. I mean, P.J. Tucker was handpicked by Joel Embiid to join this team. The Sixers took a tampering penalty to even bring him here. Uh, they're kind of out of excuses. We've gone through the path where uh, it was injuries or it was Ben Simmons or it was Brett Brown. And, and it's now time to act like there, there is no more time. It, we, we've seen the Hawks meltdown. We saw Joel get injured last year. If they can stay healthy, there's no reason this team doesn't at least make it to the conference final and they have to prove it or there's going to be a lot of change. I mean, we see the James Harden contract talks looming. There's still the noise that continues to bounce around about him potentially going back to Houston, joining the Rockets. If they get bounced by the second round again, I can't see him re-signing in a Sixers uniform. And they they gave him a two-year deal this past uh, offseason with an opt-out. He took a pay cut. And I, I can't imagine that Harden's exactly thrilled with where that money that he took a pay cut went to. When we're talking about names like Daniel House, Montrez Harrell, and Dwayne Dedman being the, the highlights of, of the additions. And that's not great. I wouldn't shock me if he if he wants to win or if he wants a big role, he can find either one of those in places outside of Philadelphia. So there's a lot of pressure. And Doc Rivers, for sure, is going to be the guy with the first name on the chopping block and, and where the the excuses will fall on the hardest if the Sixers do not live up to it. So a ton to prove for this Philadelphia team. If they don't find a way to get past the second round, I think there's going to be a ton of turnover in Philadelphia. So a ton of pressure on this team. And number one, the Los Angeles Lakers, I believe, have the most to prove in the second half of the season sitting at 27 and 32 13th in the west lebron james still averaging 30 points per game 8.4 rebounds 7.0 uh 7.0 assists anthony davis 26 points 12.3 rebounds 2.0 blocks 1.2 steal you can't have lebron james performing at the, the highest level in the way that he is and just not be even in the playoff conversation Uh, LeBron has not missed the playoffs since the 2005-2006 season before last season. He hasn't been uh, out of the playoffs in back-to-back years since before that in the 04-05 season and then 05-06 season. Throughout the rest of his career, he's been a perennial contender, and that hasn't been the case this year. So they made a a ton of moves at the deadline. figure out how to make this happen uh there's still a decent amount of time left in the season but they don't have much to lose the lakers need to come out on a tear to at least get into the postseason punch their tickets to having a chance and once they're in the dance you cannot can't count out a team led by lebron like that so lakers still have plenty to prove uh if they do not find a way to make this happen there's also going to be some real questions there can Anthony Davis truly be the guy to pass the torch to, uh, considering the injuries that he dealt with? He started the season at a very impressive rate, looked terrific, looked playing some of his best basketball that he had in several years. But then, like clockwork, the injury issues catch up to him, and it just kind of hasn't been the same. So he struggled to stay on the floor and be effective when he is on the floor. So there's some concerns with AD. And LeBron, you you have to see his frustrations there. I mean, 
He messed up his hand a little bit. The all-star game, his foot injury lingering a little bit. So he's beat up. He's 38 years old. He does not have all the time in the world. He definitely is going to be intenting on competing and contending this year. And the Lakers team has to match that energy. So a ton of pressure all around. There's a ton to watch out for all around in the second half of the season and not just the Lakers and not just these teams that I mentioned. Uh, but yeah, a lot of pressure. We'll see what happens. I'm excited for the second half of the season to get under wraps. I'm ready for this all-star break to be over and for us to get be getting back to basketball. Uh, drop a comment. Let me know what you guys think. What are your awards? What other teams do you think have a ton of pressure on them? I appreciate all you guys for tuning in. Make sure to drop a like and subscribe on this video if you have not already. And I will talk with you next time.